Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Trigger warning. This podcast has references to violence and abuse. If you or someone you know is dealing with domestic abuse, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can find more information, resources, and support on their website as well. We will add this information to our show notes. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Hey, Michael. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? We're almost at the end of the week. That feels good. At our day jobs, we had a bit of an outdoor festival today, and we got to do a group photo with our team, and it was a whole shenanigans. There was free food. There were burgers. There were hot dogs. There was coleslaw. I was a happy boy. It was a good day. I felt good. I I got to eat some ice cream with sprinkles. I forgot about the soft serve ice cream. That was straight up McDonald's level. McFlurry. I mean, it was so... I haven't had ice cream like that in a long time. Like, I just don't enjoy sweets, but that today was so perfect. It was kind of hot out for a fall day. It was. It was very hot. It was 80 degrees outside. I'm like, all right, Pensacola in November. Here we go. Yeah, thanks for Florida for showing up. (laughs) Carla, I don't even know what to say about this case. Like, it makes me uncomfortable physically and emotionally. (laughs) Well, I think the Lacey Peterson case brought out a lot of emotions, right? This one, I do believe, is going to have a lot of emotions. So the difference for this one, for me, between this and the Petersons, is that like the Long Island Lolita case, everyone lived. But it wasn't necessarily a happy ending for everyone. Just because you stayed alive does not mean that it was sunshine and rainbows. So I agree. I think there's going to be some very visceral reaction on this. And this is a very popular, I think probably of all the cases, if you were alive in the 90s, you heard about this case. But I am willing to bet that you didn't hear about everything. I I know even just from the tidbits I've heard from you, and as we often do on this podcast, I haven't heard all the details. Like you get to hear it the first time alongside me, and Carla got to hear Hollinsburg Massacre, for instance, alongside you all for the first time. This one, I'm hearing all of the details for the first time too, but I am I am so excited to hear your take on this infamous case. So we said it at the, the top of the show. This is going to get very explicit. We aren't joking when we yeah. say explicit. <laughs> Do not listen to this episode with your children in the car. So here is your warning. Skip this one and listen to it when you're by yourself because this is one you're going to want to listen to. But please note that we are not only going to talk about domestic violence. We are going to talk about assault We are going to say the word penis a lot. There's going to be a lot of reference to genitalia and not in the fun way. Right. So all that to say, we are going to talk about Lorena Bobbitt and John Wayne Bobbitt. Oh my gosh. And their cases. Like it's not even like the case of because they both had cases. They both each saw their day in court. And I think the way that I want to describe it is let's talk about the night it happened, right? how everything kind of looked for the police, what happened, what transpired, then we're going to take you back and let's talk a little bit about the relationship as we go through that. And then let's talk about the two trials. And I think we can get it all done in one one shot. 
We're going to try our very best for you, dear listeners, to get it all out there. I, I cannot wait to hear your take on this. Also, if you're my dad, just skip this episode. My mom, too. Please don't, <laughs> yeah. please don't do it. This all starts June 23rd, 1993 in Manassas, Virginia. The last time we had a pretty infamous case in Virginia was Depp versus Heard. That's right. Before there was Depp versus Heard, there was the Bobbits. I also just need to call out, while this is not my hometown, I lived in D.C. for seven years, so this was my next-door neighbor. And we have a lot of friends who are from Virginia and have come down here to be snowbirds. A lot of this story is very close to them, and they were there. So, Michael, in 1993, since we seem to do this every time we talk about, yeah, how yeah. old were you? I was six years old, but I will say this. I know Carla's face right now. I, fr- I was still, I was thinking like 1985. No, six, I was six years old. And I will say this is another one of those cases that the fame and infamy and notoriety around this did not just stay centralized in the year that it happened. When I was 10, when I was 13, when I was 15, there were still remnants of this case going on. Like, I remember this one well into my teenagehood. Well, and so I was 11, but all I knew is that something happened, right? Not the same age? I know, I know. (laughs) so sad. It's It's getting further apart every day. But I remember that this happened, this woman cut her husband's penis off but i didn't know anything else other than that you had to live under a rock and watch no tv to not hear the and jokes. not read any newspapers it was nothing the, the jokes were on every late night show yes david letterman um i mean they were just everywhere but like even daytime shows people were talking about this let's take you back june 23rd 1993 Manassas, Virginia, at 5.03 a.m. A police call comes in by a local hospital, and they tell the police officers a man has been assaulted by his wife. And they're like, hey, you need to get over here. So the officers are dispatched to the hospital. When they get there, they are in utter disbelief. The man's wife had cut his penis off. And what was worse is the hospital needed the officers to retrieve it. The officers describe this scene as, again, it's 1993. You can't just go saying the word penis over the dispatch line. They're having to figure out other ways to describe the situation. Also, they're in shock. And I'm sure probably just like any of us, when we first hear it, we're like, no fucking way. Instantly, my head went to not only the sheer amount of pain and horror of this, but also just Biologically, physiologically, this is an incredibly vascularized area of your body. The amount of blood at the scene, subtracting any idea of genitalia being flipped about, would have been gruesome to behold. I cannot even imagine. Law enforcement and hospital workers, they are very professional, but obviously they have to have some levity in their job to do what they do all the time. And I think that they tried to address the situation with as much professionalism as they could. They're just purely stunned. The officers are dispatched to the home of John Wayne Bobbitt. Can you fucking imagine, Carla? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, literally, you get a call, and it's just like someone's genitalia has been severed. They weren't even saying the word genitalia. I think they were saying, like, appendage is the word that they were using. They're thinking, like, a finger. Which, by the way, would still be shocking. You hear about someone's finger being cut off and you're like, oh, that's torture. Who the hell did that? 
They're thinking like, oh, his wife cut his finger off. You know, okay. Obviously, that's not going to be fun. Um, maybe it's accidental. I think when they realize that it's his penis, they realize like that didn't accidentally get cut off. No, ma'am. It was like two male officers and one female officer who is sent to the apartment. That's the apartment that they had. And there was no one there, but they begin to search the area. And they said they're looking everywhere. Like they're looking in the garbage disposal. They're looking in the dishwasher, the refrigerator. They can see like the trail of blood that leads into their bedroom. And they did say like on the bed, and you can see it like in a V shape, that there is a pool of blood. And one officer said that it was so thick, like he could have put his finger in it and he would be assured that it was like pooling about an inch of blood. That there was definitely a lot of blood that was lost at the time. They did mention that John was very intoxicated, which is probably why he was able to lie there and bleed for a little bit. That's part of why there was so much blood, where maybe somebody who wasn't intoxicated or asleep would have jumped up right away, immediately put pressure on it, and got to the hospital. So they're looking for it. Well, the same time that they're looking for it, an officer calls them and says, hey, we have the wife, Lorena, here, and she is looking to pursue a sexual assault charge against her husband. And they're like, hey, all good, fine and dandy, but urgently you need to find out where she put it. Like we're looking for it. We cannot find it and they need it in order to sew it back on. So can you ask, tell her to hold tight on her sexual assault claim. Can she tell us where it's at? Because that's more urgent at this moment. There is a moment where I was like, of course, that's what they said. But I was like, like literally this woman is saying he raped me and what you're concerned. Okay, I'm going to hold any judgment for that. Yeah. Tell on. Lorena does say that she was immediately after it happened. And we'll describe a little bit about like her story about what led us to this moment. She said that she just honestly like barely remembers the event, but that she must have gotten in the car with it and was driving away. She was going to her best friend, who's also her boss, and she was going to her house to tell her about not only the sexual assault, but also that she, what she had done. And I guess she pulls up next to a 7-Eleven and across the street from the 7-Eleven is this like high grassy area and she throws it out the window. And I think she threw some other things out the window because she said to the officer, she's like, oh, I remember I stopped somewhere and threw stuff out the window. And they're like, where did you stop? So they dispatched fire department and they said like the grass was like up to their, between like their knees and their waist. So it is a high grassy area that they are looking for his penis. I'm not trying to be crude with this. And there is a little bit of comedy to the idea of multiple officers having to wade through knee high grass, being like, has anyone spotted the appendage yet? <laughs> Could you just imagine? And so I think that probably the oldest, most religious person on the police department is the guy that finds it officers are all telling the story like he's pointing down to the ground this is it but he will not touch it I'm- one of the firefighters and the other thing is they all have gloves so it's not like they're barehanding this thing i just i relate to him a little bit i ain't touching some random <laughs> dude that i've never met i'm not just being like oh we're gonna dive right into that yeah that's not how that works 
You're right. There's probably a limit. I will say I don't like blood. So like I'm not also. I'm, oh my god. I'm not touching and it. So much blood. Yeah, I, I, I would. Even. I would uh, never be able to work I'm on a crime like, scene. Thinking about this. Okay, <laughs> tell on, Carla. Tell on. I don't mean to downplay the situation, but I'm just recalling the story of what happened to said penis after it left John Bobbitt's body. <laughs> okay, I just want to tell you the story that it it, it traveled a distance. <laughs> so firefighter picks it up, takes it to the Seven Eleven, puts it in a hot dog bag <laughs> on ice. <laughs> And rushes it to the hospital, and they have a microsurgeon there along with the urologist who is going to be doing this really for the first time. So for a urologist, they already kind of had a plan in place for him to be able to go to the bathroom. Like, they do save the penis, and they said there was a moment, like in the movies, like where you're done sewing it together, and you're waiting for the organ to turn pink. And they said, it turned pink, and they're like, all right. We, we did it. Yeah, we have done it. <laughs> I jokingly say that because they did say, like, even though it was back on, they still would not know for sure for up to two years yeah. whether or not it would work. And we all know that, like, something that happens to you when you're young, whether it just be a break or your penis gets cut off, you're not sure what ramifications that has when you're 50 years old. Sure don't. While I might a little bit giggle just because I'm a kid, that is not lost on me that what happened was very tragic and that it's something that could bother him for the rest of his life. Yeah, I mean, beyond tragic, it is physically traumatic. Yeah. Like, to have any... Back to the point about the finger, because I feel like that's most relatable. You have an appendage like that cut off, and it can have just major, major effects to your functionality for a long time. So going back to his wife, originally is there in the police department to report sexual assault. Now... During this time, after she remembered where she had put it, that they got back to actually filing, like, like what happened. And they're starting – the police are themselves are starting to realize, like, whoa, she clearly assaulted this man. The questioning also turns into something else. But they do, to their credit, take her to the hospital, and they do a rape kit for her. Okay. They're in the same hospital on two different sides. She's having her rape kit, and while – he is having his surgery to be reattached. Lorena is telling the police officers her story. And she tells them that while she was married to John, she had been constantly raped and abused. And I just want to point out that I know that what has happened to John is very traumatic and what's going on. But you still have to remember that this was 20 years ago. This was before the Me Too movement. This was before people believed first and validated later. This was actually only just a few years after we really had started to popularize even domestic violence shelters. That was something that I didn't realize had not been around for a long time. I guess just because they're around here now, you think that it's been around forever, but it wasn't until the 1980s that we actually had shelters for women who were victims of domestic violence to go to. Well, and even now, I think that some of our thinking around domestic violence when it comes to sexual violence in a marriage is complicated. The idea is you are in a consensual legal arrangement. And so the thought is that you are engaging in these things by choice. And what do you do when that is no longer the case? Because coercion can come in multiple shapes and forms. And to your point, I just don't know that we were as smart or as sensitive or compassionate towards those things back then. We've come a long way. 
And I want to pick that up because I definitely want to talk about marital rape and all that that entails. This is the time of Anita Hill versus Clarence Thomas. Yes. This is when one of the Kennedys was found innocent of rape and not just one time, but multiple times. This is, y'all remember that 16-year-old girl who was dating a 37-year-old man and we all blamed her? Amy Fisher. Yep. Like this is all that very same time period. So this isn't the time that I think immediately people are like, oh, this is true. But talking about the marital rape thing. So I found out like looking through researching this story and I want to point out a really good documentary. You can find it on Amazon. It's called Lorena. It's a six part episode. Both John Bobbitt and Lorena Bobbitt are both involved in it. But I think they do a good job of trying to talk about what the country looked like at that moment in time and how the environment was, plus just the media blitz of it. But one of the things that they brought out was marital rape. Only at that time, and I don't know if that's changed or not, but only like half the country even had a marital rape law. Florida was not one of them. So it's just- I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. No, I was really. going to say- I'm honestly surprised that Virginia did because most of the South did not have a marital rape law. The way that Virginia law described it is that you had to say two things. So one is you had to be separated and you had to prove that you had some type of permanent damage. Now, I don't know if that would show emotional permanent damage or physical permanent damage, but you had to show that you were permanently damaged. But the fact that you had to be separated, like honestly, to me, that was even a bullshit law to have in the books if you had to be separated. So you could be raped while you were married, but it didn't matter unless you were separated. It seems like it's this failure to acknowledge the complex dynamics of a marriage and that sometimes people, even today in 2022, choose to stay in these things not because they are still in love but because they are financially dependent upon one another because they have kids together there are all of these complicating factors in this idea that you should have the wherewithal and the emotional fortitude to just get on out of that thing i think negates a lot of what we know now about the trauma of those kinds of events, right? Like when you are taken advantage of in that way by someone that you are supposed to have been able to trust in a very deep fashion, you break a little bit. And that is both emotional and physical. We're just a lot more compassionate toward those things now. I know it's got to be complicated. And I know the other thing, it's incredibly hard to prove marital rape, It's definitely a real thing, and it's something that I think probably now we might hold a little bit more serious, but I don't know in a court of law that we hold it any more serious than we did in 1993. I want to talk a little bit more about who John and Lorena were, about their relationship, and like how we got to that night. Lorena was born in Ecuador in 1969. She grew up in Venezuela with her two younger siblings. Her father worked as a dental tech, and they really led a middle-class life. She immigrated in 1987 on a student visa. 1987, such a good year. Mm. She met John in 1988, and she was in community college there in Virginia. He was her first boyfriend that she had ever had, and they're they're very young. So that's a misgiving that I did not know about this case. 
probably because I was 11 and I'm hearing the name Lorena. Which does sound like an older name. It does. I definitely thought Lorena was a 40-year-old woman. I also maybe didn't think that a 20-something-year-old would do something like this. I much more thought a 40-year-old woman. And I'm going to say, at almost 40, I don't disagree. (laughs) I feel like I'm much more likely to do something like this now than I was in my early 20s. They meet in 1988. And again, he was her first boyfriend. And they get married within just a year. They get married June 18th of 1989. She was 20 and he was 22. A little bit about John. John Bobbitt was born in 1967 and he grew up in Niagara Falls, New York. When he was three, him and his brothers were taken away from his mom. She was a drug addict and they were placed with his aunt and uncle. He just described the situation with his mom. She just couldn't take care of us. She had a breakdown. Like she was a nice lady, but she could not handle us three boys. And I, him and his brothers grew up really close. I've seen some interviews with them and they're very protective over him. He did grow up with a big family. They went to church every Sunday. You know, that even though they had a lot of love, they also shared a love of fighting and tumbly bunch. And I know that John was very athletic. People described him. He was very good in, at athletics and it it's no surprise that he ended up joining the Marines. And actually, that is where him and Lorena meet, is at a Marine ball. And he describes Lorena as shy and like very quiet and that she didn't speak a lot of English. And he immediately gave her his phone number. I think it's important that like she did not speak a lot of English. Her first language was not English. Even in her later interviews... You can hear she has a very thick accent. Yeah, I just, my mind was trying to process. It's one thing to be attracted to an accent. Someone speaks to me in a British or an Hispanic accent and I automatically start drooling. But that's different when they don't speak a lick of English. Like my thought isn't let me marry you. <laughs> you know, that that's interesting. Yeah, it definitely raised an eyebrow. Yeah. Maybe this would play into later. And maybe it does. And maybe it doesn't. She says, so Lorena says that immediately within a few weeks of getting married that things became violent and that he continued to be violent with her and to rape her when she would say no and force sex upon her their entire marriage. See, and this just goes back to my initial thought. I'm trying not to get judgy right off the bat. But this idea of I was attracted to someone that speaks a different language than me and now automatically through some of my behavior, I'm treating them as less than. I don't disagree. She says that they argued a lot from her questioning his spending and then also like people staying the night with no advance warning. So later, Lorena becomes the breadwinner and that John doesn't keep a job. I can imagine that they're having financial issues. It's very indicative to me as a young couple to have people like your friends crashing because you're at this like yeah, bar, very normal. It, like you're out drinking, you're going to clubs, things yep. like that. Hey, my friend's going to stay the night. I was a young wife and I can remember that my ex-husband would have friends come and stay the night and it would be fine, but it would end up being like two or three days that they would stay. And I would be like, hello, 
Like we have a life, you we know. We have a whole household. Right. We have a whole. Run. Can they please leave? You don't want to feel like the mom. You know, I'm not your mom. I'm not cleaning up after you and your friend while y'all are playing video games and eating all my food. That's right. I'm in this to be in an adult relationship, not to be your caregiver. Right. Maybe I want to eat all the food and play video games all day long. <laughs> and I can't because- Do it, Carla. You do yeah, you. Because your friend. I, I feel like anybody who's ever been in a very young, very committed, living together relationship is the very same thing. If you're mixing money and you don't have a lot of money, that can get very contentious. I can't say anything to whether or not, of course, it was abusive or not abusive, but Lorena says that's what happened. Now, one other thing that Lorena mentions is that John forced her to get an abortion, that she got pregnant and she did not want to have an abortion and he forced her to do it. And then I guess he kept making jokes the whole time about how she could die like during the procedure of getting the abortion. I want to know how you feel about that, Carla. It's so hard because... The person that I'm watching later in this documentary is a grown woman that I could never imagine someone forcing her to do something like that. And so I can't imagine like what it must have been like at 22. So it's really hard for me to be like, how could he have forced you to do that? Did he drag you into the hospital? But I know that like coercive control is way different than the way that I imagine it. Your thoughts kind of echoed mine that it's this really interesting mix between realizing that because he came at this from the perspective of being a person that was in the United States military, I wonder if there was some form of he was an authority figure to her. Was her ticket to stability and to financial success in the United States But at the same time, that's where my mind went to. How do you let anyone force you into doing something like that? Now, if that was full on your choice, this might be a different conversation. And he forced her to do something like that. My opinion of him coming into this case is very, very low. Yeah. And I'll say that the other thing about that is maybe there was a part of her that was okay getting an abortion because this is not a healthy relationship. Maybe she felt very- She wasn't ready yet. Yeah, maybe she felt very forced into it. Maybe that's her story. But to me, they're most likely, and again, I don't know what type of control he had over her, but maybe there was a part of her that was okay with doing it, and that's why she did it. Now, John, for their whole relationship, he describes a very different type of relationship. He actually says that Lorena is hot-tempered and that she's extremely jealous, and that, quote, they began fighting over things that they shouldn't have been fighting over, unquote. I can imagine that John is probably telling the truth that she is both hot-tempered and jealous. She is 20 years old, and he is he's in his early 20s too. That, again, leads to like very common behaviors by very young, very immature, passionate Passionate, people. right? I'm saying that 100%. That probably was Carla in her early 20s too. I I was a a jealous person and I'm not so much now. So I, I believe that part. What I think is funny is him saying that they were fighting over things that shouldn't and didn't add any details to that quote. Like money, where she's like very specific in what they were fighting over. Because yeah, they probably were fighting over money and about his friend staying the night. And to him, he's like, we shouldn't have been arguing over that. I, I don't think that he's lying about that part. I, I don't know that she's abusive. I couldn't say that. I think it's like the same thing, Johnny and Amber. Is she? Isn't she? 
Well, you removed the tell. claims of abuse from it. And I think this is the point that we're making. You removed the claims of abuse. And this feels like a very normal back and forth between an early 20s couple, right? Like this is the shit that you fight about in these kinds of relationships when you're both still growing up. John leaves the Marines in 1991 and Lorena works at a nail salon. And later her boss at that nail salon becomes her best friend. When he leaves the Marines, Lorena becomes the main source of income for their family, which probably adds to the growing strife between them if she already feels like he's spending money irresponsibly. It doesn't say what John was doing at that time, and I think he might have been doing like some like small little jobs, but nothing substantial. Lorena does say that their financial problems at that time, that she actually admits to stealing from her place of employment and from stores during that time that they had a hard time making their mortgage payments. In 1991, in February, John actually pleaded guilty to assault and battery. It was later dismissed after he went to counseling. The police are getting called quite frequently to the Bobbitt residence. And John will say that it was Lorena that was the aggressor. Lorena will say that John was the aggressor. But John does have that arrest in 1991. This is already giving me so many, I know the case is very different, but so many Amber Heard, Johnny Depp vibes. This feels like a case where no one is winning. There are two losers in this situation. So they do separate in October of 91, but for some reason, and it doesn't say why, they reunited a year later. In April of 93, they moved into their apartment in Manassas. June 21 of 93, so just two days before this incident happens, she begins the process of filing a protective order. I didn't mention it earlier, but when the police were at the house looking for the penis, they do see pamphlets about domestic violence and about rape. Homegirl had been researching this. Right. And so she had began the steps to get that protective order, obviously had not been approved there, and John was still coming there to the house. The day that the incident actually happened, he got off work, wherever he was working, I guess his boss let him off at 2.30, and he comes home, gets his friend, Robbie, who was staying at the house, and they decide to go clubbing, and they're going from club to club. Now, John says he was not drunk that he had had a couple of beers and he said he had a couple of B-52 shots. And he describes like in that documentary, like these are not, he was like, people think these are really strong shots, but they're not. He was like, they're kind of candy shots. He was like, we were not drunk. But remember the hospital at 5.03 a.m. is describing him as intoxicated. I don't know like what his blood alcohol was or anything like that, but He gets off work. I'm just going to play it out. He gets off work at 2.30 in the afternoon the day before. It's 5 a.m. when he shows up to the hospital with his penis cut off. And he's intoxicated. And so we do know that like somewhere through the night, Lorena says that they engaged either in some type of forced sex or some type of forced foreplay. And in a fit of rage, she goes to the kitchen, gets a knife. He is passed out asleep when she cuts him. He says that he doesn't even really remember what happened. He was passed out. He was asleep. he said he was dead tired. He was asleep and he rem- it's like waking up from a nightmare. He actually describes that like he thought Freddy Cougar had come through the wall and eviscerated him. And he's putting it together that something has been cut and there's blood everywhere. 
I don't know that I feel like it's realistic to say that I wasn't that drunk, like legitimately. And it's beyond just what the hospital says, describing his, him as intoxicated. It's even the amount of hemorrhaging that happened after it was cut off. Like you, you don't clot as well when you've been drinking lots of alcohol, where typically your body would start trying to fix things a little bit more quickly. I don't know how realistic he's being there. I also just cannot even imagine the sense of horror. Like even all awkward Absolutely. laughing aside, like you have literally had, and this this is not just the penis, although that does make it particularly sensitive. I have any part of my body that is missing that was there when I went to sleep. And I'm going to be like, Ex excuse me? Like, I don't care if it's my nose, my ear. I don't know. I'm going to be like, what, what the fuck? But from her perspective, what state of mind do you have to be in to do that? Like, legitimately, what happened to her to put you in a space where you feel so desperate, where you feel so incensed, so angry that you're willing to do that? That's an intriguing question. So I've never had my penis cut off, but <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have one. So, Thank God, Carla. Yeah, I've never had any appendage cut off. It's a off. relief to us all. Yeah, but the closest I got was, we kind of joked around about it in the beginning of last episode, is the other week I bit into a Laffy Taffy and my crown off my tooth came off. Yes. But I had forgotten that I had a crown because it had been like five years. That's right. It was part of you. I thought it was my tooth. And I actually, I was at work. I had to walk out of the room that we were in. And I'm almost hyperventilating because I thought that I lost a tooth. And I am like pure panic calling my dentist like, hey, I think I just lost my tooth. Okay, which is nothing I'm sure imagine. I can, cannot even, that's as close as I can get to comparing to what he must have woke up and been like, there is a body part missing. But even me in that sh in that moment, like the dentist was trying to ask me like, is it was it my right side or my left side? And I was like, I don't know. I'm too freaked out. I really don't know if it's my right or my left. <laughs> so I don't know how he got his friend up and was like, hey, something isn't right. Hey, I need you to help me apply pressure and we've got to get to the hospital. I think you're right. He had to have been more intoxicated. So that's how they get to the hospital. So what happens after that? Within a day, the story hits the local news. I bet it did. Yeah. And at that <laughs> point in time, they're just saying a wife got angry and cut husband's penis off. Once it hits the news, it starts to spread like wildfire. There are comedians talking about it. So like Whoopi Goldberg comments, Jay Leno starts telling jokes about what happened. The police, they charge Lorena with malicious wounding. But then also after that, when she's describing what happened to her, they also then pick up a charge of marital rape for John. Good. So they both end up getting So they are looking at both sides of yep. the argument. I appreciate that. They are okay. looking at both sides of it. We mentioned that Lorena's boss, who is also her best friend, her name is Jana Basuti. She was very wealthy. She owned a few salons there, and she helps Lorena get a lawyer, James Lowe, and then immediately, and I guess really due to the public speculation, and at first, I think I raised an eyebrow at this, but like looking back on it, this was a smart move. So she hires Lorena, a public relations manager. Mm. And so this is before, long before we heard the terms fixer, but that's exactly what this public relations officer is doing. This is a couple of things that I learned. 
sex crimes, and they were both victims of what was considered a sex crime. They did not print their names. So at the time, it was just like husband, wife, things like that. Once Lorena hired a public relations manager, Washington Post's editor told its journalist who was writing a story on it, it's fair game, print her name. And so then they begin printing their names, Lorena and John Bobbitt, and it is everywhere. I don't know how I feel about this idea that just because... I wonder if from Lorena's perspective, she knows this is going to turn into Ecuadorian immigrant, United States Marine hero at large are are in this domestic dispute. It just seems really shady to me, this idea that just because she hired someone to protect her name, a name that I'm sure she was very interested in keeping in good order as she went into what was going to be a long drawn out legal case that the media man like i appreciate freedom of the press and how important it is to our democratic process how important it is to our human process but this just feels so shady and it feels like it is taking advantage of someone that is already in a really sensitive position the question that I would be asking myself, even back in 1993 at the ripe age of six years old, <laughs> is is why does she feel the need to get someone to help her with her public image? Like, I mean, that that sounds like the act of a desperate woman that needed some help and knew that she was about to get thrown to the wolves. And in, in, in many ways, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and I'll say... So for to Lorena's defense, Lorena's a 24-year-old young woman, yeah. right? She's, she's not a girl, but she's a young woman. It's her older, wealthy best friend who hires her. She's lucky she had that older, wealthy best friend. Yeah, who hires her a public – like she was like, no. And so this older – and you think, you know, Manassas – like I always think about like – politicians there in Virginia, like right. probably people who are like, you know what? She needs a public like spot on. Carla. And I like look again, like looking back, I'm like, that was so smart. And because immediately he's like, listen, he was like, when people start asking you questions, you tell them to go talk to your public relations manager. Like don't answer questions. You know, your lawyer is going to make sure that the law side of it is going to. But sometimes, I mean, we've talked about it with other cases. And more so than any other case, when you're talking about domestic violence or marital rape, it is going to come down to who do you believe. That's right. Whose story do you believe? That's right. Again, I don't mean to like overplay it, but back to Amber Heard, Johnny Depp, right? So much of that case came down to with some of the extravagant claims in that case that were also sexual assault in nature who do you believe so a couple of things that happened to Lorena so the first trial that actually would happen would be John's and I don't know how they decided whose would go first but to me I'm shocked that John's went first Um, I would have thought that maybe Lorena's would go first but I guess maybe they wanted to see what that would play out I'm sure for her defense, they definitely wanted to see how that would play out. And maybe the prosecutor did too. Like, hey, if they found John guilty of abuse as a prosecutor and the same prosecutor, maybe I won't prosecute her as harshly because of this other thing. So maybe it was smarter that his goes first. 
But I want to talk about in Lorena's first interview that she did with the police, when she was doing her sexual assault charge, yeah, she talked to the police. And again, like let's go back and remember too that English is not her first language. She had just according She's Ecuadorian. Yeah, yeah, according to her, she had just been raped again. And I think that was like the second time that weekend that she had been raped by her separated you know, again, just two days before that, she was beginning the process of a restraining order. So she was in a very emotional state. So when she's telling the event of what happened, she says something that gets her really in trouble. So she makes a quote about how she was angry and that how he orgasmed and she didn't. They begin to kind of hyper-focus because it's said over and over again. Like even when you look up interviews, the prosecution and John's defense attorney, like eats, he's like, no. He was like, she was mad because she didn't orgasm. That's why she cut his penis off. I, I can almost see her trying to offer that as proof. Like see proof. This was not a consensual act. Like he, he all the time, he orgasmed tonight, didn't. Like that, doesn't that prove it? Question mark. Isn't that how it works? Of course, every woman that's listening to this is like, is that how that works? <laughs> Question mark. No, but Michael, if we started cutting off men's penises that we didn't orgasm in, <laughs> none of you would have penises. I just we like, might need to edit that part for, out. For me, this really is, and I understand why they went to that. Like, if I am defending John, I'm doing the same thing. I'm gonna hone in on that statement and be like, oh, look, this is what she was trying to be after. But if I'm looking at this from a really reasonable perspective, I'm asking myself the question of like, was she just trying to, in her broken English, try to explain to me, here's how I know this was not a consensual act. I think that's exactly what she was trying to say. Like, I think that that's what she was trying to explain. And if you take into the fact, like, of course, it doesn't sound good. Another reason you shouldn't talk to the police without a lawyer, but also... In her mind, she's filing sexual assault charges. She wasn't here to be questioned by them. So that's kind of how his first trial kind of kicks off. He was charged with marital rape. And they do talk about the police had been called to the house. His lawyer states that it was actually John that was being abused by Lorena and not the opposite. And we talked about, too, like what actually describes marital rape that you have to be separated and that you have to have permanent damage john does testify now in in john's court case it is not televised so the media they're only able to get stuff through like the courtroom sketches and then they're outside of it but they're not able to actually be in the courtroom And this is a time they were talking about, too, like, it's probably the most like it is today. Like, court TV was a new thing. And so a lot of people really enjoyed watching these court cases on TV. So the public was pretty disappointed that this trial was not being televised. I'm glad that it wasn't, question mark. (laughs) Like, mm -mm, I don't want to be seeing some of this on TV. (laughs) Yeah. I promise I will not be sharing those pictures on social media. Please do not, (laughs) Carla. Do not do that. So he says that he was dead tired and that's why he was passed out and that Lorena was unsatisfied and that she was angry over their split. That he had said like, look, it's over. He thought she would be happy about it, but he's like, no, this is over. Um, We're not going to be together anymore. And that is why she did what she did. Lorena gave her side, but this is the other thing about this marital rape. 
the jury can only look at the night of the rape in a few days prior. They call it like the five day rule. And it's like three days before, two days after. They only have this short time period. She can't talk about the fact that for four years she was raped without consent or that there was many times that he was drunk and you know according to Lorena had come home and forced himself upon her can any of you that have any familiarity with law I want to understand where this comes from I think like logically I'm piecing in my head to be this idea of adult human free will would you stay in something that is being that subversive to you for that long and, and the law is saying, no, probably not, right? Like, at that point, are you just digging up things to be vindictive? But here's my thing. Like, with that kind of repression and and all of the things that come before someone forcing themselves on you physically, because often that is accompanied by preceding emotional abuse, I don't understand why that's not valid, Carla. That really disturbs me, this idea that we have to have such a focused look. So if any of you are familiar with the law and can explain that to us, I want to know. That, that really gets under my skin. Yeah, I have no idea about any of the law other than I think it goes back to, again, like they had to be separated. And I think that it maybe has to focus on like one time, but I don't understand like why previous bad acts can't come into play here. I but- also think right after an event like that, I can imagine a world where that takes you a moment to get your head on straight, to be like, wait a minute, what just happened to me? And when it's something that traumatic, it doesn't seem unreasonable that someone might need a couple of days, weeks, maybe even months to process that, to be like, wait a minute, someone just violated me in this way. And I I just think when it's something like that, it can take you a moment to wrap your head around it. I mean, all of this has trigger warnings. When Lorena describes what happened that weekend, she does say that the Friday, so the actual cutting his penis off was on a Sunday. But the first time that weekend that she had been raped was on the hallway floor. And the night that it actually happened, that he came home, that she felt like she was forced to do it, that she didn't feel like her saying no really mattered anymore because he was just going to force himself on her and that he ripped her panties and had sex with her. And that afterwards, when he was passed out, that she went into the kitchen and that's what happened. Mm. They did try to stay away from the event of him being cut too. So I will say like, while it was very unfair for Lorena to not be able to talk about other prior events outside of the couple of days, they also tried to stay away from the fact that she then retaliated in cutting him. Okay. Okay. The defense hired experts that actually like I guess it was like a retired FBI agent who investigated Lorena's ripped panties. And he says that they were cut and then torn. They made this big comment about how she went to her boss at her nail salon. And they're like, what do they have at the salon? Scissors. So she clearly faked these panties being torn. But I did see a picture of them. I mean, they look pretty torn to me. So November 10th, 1993, John was found not guilty. And I'll give it to the jury. It was nine women and three men. But it came down and like we heard from a couple of the jury and one of the men, he really bought 
that the panties were cut. He really bought that story. He also made comments about the way that she was dressed. Like one day, she seemed really like shy, very quiet. The next day, kind of fiery. I don't know how much I hold that to. But even one of the women that were interviewed, she said that she really did believe that happened. But like within the legal aspects, they didn't feel like they could prove that it happened. And yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the prosecutor says, and again, it's the same prosecutor who's going to go after Lorena in just you know a few short months after this. He says marital rape is extremely hard to prove. And it doesn't say that he wasn't guilty of domestic violence or any of that stuff. It just says that for this incident, they found him not guilty. Marital rape. Yeah. John goes off and Lorena really begins her trial. In the meantime, you can find John goes off to a farm, I believe in Oregon, and he's working on this farm and his lawyer's like, good, stay out of trouble, just become one with nature. And what does John do? He goes to Hooters to a John Bobbitt lookalike contest and he like makes <laughs> jokes how he thinks he can win. Oh my God. Um, later you can find him on Howard Stern. Howard Stern actually did like a charity event for him. It was a telethon to raise money for him. He kind of went on all these like multiple TV interviews and maybe for him, he feels like this really horrible thing happened to him and this is his opportunity to poke fun at it. Also, he's 25 years old. I, I, what? <laughs> like, that's what you Howard do after? Stern. Yeah. While this is happening, they're getting ready to start the trial for Lorena. And the prosecution, I think he does believe Lorena's story that he'd already heard her one time testified to it in John's trial. And so he's like, look, if you plead guilty, I'll give you four months in jail. It's a felony charge. And then you're done. We can just let this all be. And Lorena, I think for her, I don't think it's the four months or saying that she's guilty. It was the fact that it was a felony. And she wanted to become an American citizen. And she would not be able to become an American citizen if she pled guilty. So she didn't. That's right. And so began really the trial. And to summarize it, I mean, it's it's a lot of what we already said. Lorena describes years of abuse, years of marital rape between herself and John. And there are people who stand up and say that they seen bruises on Lorena, that they saw him push her around. And they also say his friends do recall him making comments that he says he likes for sex. That makes it hard when you're trying to talk about this argument of consent versus non-consent, though, because, like, if he's making that public to his friends, an equal argument could be made that he was probably saying that to Lorena as well. And if you're staying in this relationship where you know that that's something that he likes as a bit of a fetish, there are all sorts of fetishes out there that honestly, like, once you dig into them, are pretty innocent in nature. They're not hurting anyone. I just... This is not okay. I have so many opinions, but it's, I think that for me, this is hard for Lorena's case because she has to defend the fact that she stayed, that you stayed in this relationship where, okay, so maybe you didn't understand that that was part of the relationship contract the first time, the fifth time, the 10th time, the hundredth time, but you stay beyond that knowing that this is how this person treats you. What does that do to your argument about not consenting? I and don't I, know. 
Yeah. I mean, there is this thing as far as like, I know that course of control and I know that relationships are complicated. Yeah. And she was. Especially when there's citizenship on the line. Like that's another power dynamic that entered into this. So, and I have heard that power dynamic that, you know, he would threaten her a lot about this. He did. And there was, you know, while she made more money than he did, you know, she probably was very committed to making sure that all of their bills were paid. I think he probably lived a little bit more like haphazardly about those things. John, of course, denies everything. He says, I did not abuse her. I never forced myself. But he does go to say like, oh, I have pushed her and things like that. But I'm this was all in self-defense. And if you're coming at me and I have to defend myself and you get hurt, like that's not my problem. Hold on while I register the amount of douchebaggery that that explains to me. (laughs) Right. I think like those are the moments that you'd like pay attention to what people are saying. When all you have, when you have no proof, right? And all you have is what you're saying and the story of who you believe. People are like, "Mm -mm. that doesn't, that does not ring true. That doesn't feel like capital T true. That's right. There's some lowercase T in there. So January 21st, 1994, Lorena was found not guilty due to reason of insanity. And that meant no jail time for her. She did have to undergo a 45-day psychiatric evaluation per Virginia law. Okay. And then she was released to the public. After this really publicized trial situation, I'm glad that she went and got 45 days of help. She needed psychiatric care. They needed both needed some therapy and I'm glad that she got it and I truly believe there was this moment of insanity and it's funny because earlier you said what did he do and that was I think kind of where the country was divided right women as soon as they heard about this they were like what did he do what did he do to make her do that and men were like how could she do that yeah yeah men were like what could he possibly have done? yeah (laughs) nothing no one deserves and i don't even know if i'm getting ready to believe what i'm about to say so like but just say it it's not we can edit it out (laughs) it is a fucking eye for an eye so like no i believe all that well i just think so my argument on this if this had ended up being something where as part of the purported marital rape that occurred he had permanently damaged part of her genitalia or he had cut off a breast or he had done something to otherwise mutilate her he would have been criminally prosecuted under the law so there is no denying that regardless of what happened and i feel this way i know that this is maybe a big stretch but i feel this way about like the death penalty for murderers are we really being any better by doing that are we making things right by adjudicating murder with more murder. I don't think so. I don't think you make a terrible situation right by doing another terrible thing, by mutilating someone's body in what could have been, he is a lucky fuck, what could have been a very permanent way that would have prevented him from ever having children again, from ever perhaps peeing it. Like he could have died. He could have died. So like when I look at these on their face, even if I'm to believe the reports of rape, the opposite reaction to it is not potential murder. Like you cut off someone's ability to urinate, you can literally cause them to die. I'm not defending John's character in any sense whatsoever, but I am just saying that what she did in return 
also has to come with consequences. If I think about someone abusing me and I invoke my revenge, I'm not justified in doing that. That we have a court of law, we have rules. That's like it. I'm not justified in doing. I don't. I'm not I don't saying I'm not rooting walk. for you. Right. I'm just saying from a legal perspective, it's so true <laughs> and it's complicated. Right. That's right. It doesn't mean that I get a walk and. I appreciate for whatever it's worth that she stood her day in court. They said, you know what? What you did was out of character for you. You clearly had to be insane at that moment. We're going to get you some psychiatric help. And then we think that you'll be a fine individual. And they weren't wrong. Lorena went to live her life and became the person that she was meant to become. And to me, that's her happy ending. So kind of like, okay, maybe not like Mary Jo. But I mean, to a certain extent, though, she survived it because the same thing, these people walked out damaged. Yeah. Mary Jo Buttafuoco was just much more physical, right? This is a lot more of emotional damage, but that still leaves fucking scars, too. Yeah. She got to go on and live a life. Yeah. So she did. She became a U.S. citizen the summer of 1994. Her divorce was finalized from John in 1995. She did accept some like money, some appearances in South America, but I guess she was actually asked to pose in Playboy. She was very beautiful. She is gorgeous. She aged wonderfully. But she said no. To earn a living, she continued to be a cosmetologist. She worked as an administrative assistant and then a real estate agent. But she's really become a domestic violence advocate. So in 2007, she founded the Lorena Gallo Foundation, which is her maiden name, She created the organization to help victims of domestic violence and their children to raise awareness of the issue. She's explained that she didn't know how to seek refuge in a shelter during her marriage. She says, quote, as an immigrant woman, I was often too scared to call the police for help. My abusive husband always threatened that he could have the police detain me and have me deported back to my country. So like that's a big thing for her that like, As an immigrant, she doesn't want women to feel just because they're an immigrant that they can't call for help in these situations. She went to college. She got her degree. She has a boyfriend that she's been with for a long time. Um, Mm. They were – she says – I remember like her talking about it, that they were friends and had this really great and deep friendship before they had an intimate relationship By the way, if all the stuff with John was true, can you imagine the amount of trust building that that friend turned long-term boyfriend had to build back up to? Yeah, and they've been together for um, almost 20 years, and they've never gotten married. Um, But it lasted. Like, I just, good for them. She says, like, sometimes she refers to him as her husband, but that they, she opted to not marry him. Maybe, like, some of that is just stuff that she went through. They do have a daughter together, and she did say that her daughter watched the documentary and looks back on it. And even though I think she understands that the choice that her mom made in that moment wasn't the right choice, that there were other things that she could have done to get out of the situation, that she's very proud of her and what she has stood up. John Bobbitt, not to say that he is not successful, but after he won his court case. He did go to star in two adult films. And I guess there was a lot of questions about whether or not it worked still. I have questions. I'm like, hey, buddy, how does that? I'm glad you can pee, but do other things work? Yeah. So he said that he felt like the best way to do that was to be involved in a couple of pornos. And so he did some adult (laughs) films. Oh, God. And he just felt like that was the best 
way. Um, Is it? I mean. I guess one thing that to point out, so but before any of you run to Amazon wish please, list. Please don't do that. <laughs> I guess it hadn't fully healed yet. So I don't know what that meant, but that was something that they brought up. Is that I guess it wasn't healed at that moment. Okay. Um, he also went on a 40-city tour with a show called Stump the Bobbit, in which he tried to guess punchlines to jokes about his mutilation. And during the tour, Bobbitt appeared on Howard Stern. He went on various radio programs, and he autographed steak knives for fans. So I think really it was like his redemption tour. It has so many parallels to Joey Buttafuoco, right? Both in that, hey, the choices you make when you're a slightly younger man— maybe not the best and you come to think of them differently when you're a little bit older and to your point like i wonder if there was a little bit of redemption of just like hey we need to just poke fun at this awful thing that i did and that happened to me in my life but also just this sort of leaning in like with the Buttafuoco's they had MTV specials and interviews and all of this stuff and while she very much tried to separate herself from this Lorena he just seemed to lean into it. It's like he almost decided, okay, this is how I can make a living, you know? Yeah, and to be fair to him, which I know was some of the same things at the Betafucos, he had unsurmountable medical bills that came from that surgery. Oh, I can't even imagine. So I, I know that that was part of the motivation behind why he did some of these television appearances that probably most of us would be like, what? What are you doing? Like, go hide in your home. Until this all blows but over. He's like, no, but really, he's like, really? I had to pay for that 15th reattachment surgery bill. Yeah. <laughs> so. I guess he also had a band called the Sever Parts. Um, he ended up, <laughs> I know, he really did like poke fun at himself. I don't know that he was doing a lot of poking. <laughs> <laughs> he ended up moving to Vegas. He did have brief stints working as a bartender, a mover, a limo driver. This is kind of more of the same that... He really just couldn't find what he wanted to do once he left the Marines. He was even a minister at a local wedding chapel. Um, but What? Yeah. He was even part of a circus as a knife thrower for a short while. So he really had like a myriad of jobs. But he did have an injury to his neck due to a car accident in 2014. So from then on, he's been living on disability and doesn't work right now because of the injury. He has continued to have some run-ins with the law. So he's been convicted of striking an exotic dancer, he attempted grand larceny for his role in a theft at a local store. There's a few charges of alleged battery and harassment against his ex-girlfriends, more than one, mm. and his third wife. Right now, he does a lot of researching for a treasure that was left behind by some billionaire in the Rocky Mountains. And he assures everyone that he has full functionality and that, like, everything is normal now. So everything is fine with the penis. Um, <clears throat> and he's kind of just living his life. But it is interesting. And this kind of goes to more belief on the story that Lorena said because he's continued to have some violent behavior with future girlfriends, wife. Like that continues to be a pattern in his life where like Lorena goes on to have a very successful relationship. I'm not saying that she wasn't hot-tempered and jealous. That may have been true. But as far as whether or not John 
put his hands on her, it does seem that he continues to have a problem with that. Yeah. So there is the story from 1993, oh the God. Lorena and John Bobbitt. Can I, can I just word vomit a little bit? Do it. Is that okay? So first of all, love is not violent. If you are in a relationship where you do not want something to be done to you and it is repeatedly happening to you, even after you have told your partner, I do not like this, get out. Talk to a friend. Talk to someone you trust. Call a hotline. We'll link a number that we've put on one of our previous episodes to this. Get out. You have choices. You are a human being. It is worth trying to protect yourself. You are worthy of that. You have not done anything. I promise you, no matter what you have done in your life previously, it is not worth you continuing to demean yourselves. And the, the scars that you will bear for that are, are deeper than skin deep. Like you get, get the fuck out. That is not what love looks like. It is just not. Number two. If you are in a point where your relationship, regardless of if you've actually registered, because that's the other part of this, I think when you are in fight or flight mode, which I absolutely believe that both of them were in, in multiple parts of this relationship, you aren't thinking clearly. You're literally thinking with a part of your brain called the amygdala, and you are shutting off processing in the prefrontal cortex, which is where all that beautiful logic and intelligence comes in. If you are literally at the point where you think that the next logical step is cutting off an appendage of someone's body, get the fuck out. If you go to a therapist and talk to them about this, they are legally required to help protect you regardless of their opinion of your situation, and they may have them, get over it. Go talk to them about it. But if that is what you were thinking is your next logical step, you are not in a healthy relationship whatsoever. I think the last thing that I would share about this whole fucking crazy situation, Carla, I don't even know what to say about this. Find your purpose in life. When I look at John kind of floating from job to job and treating people in this really blasé, dehumanizing way. You only do that if you don't feel good about yourself. Period. Hard stop. Period. Putting a T at the end of that. <laughs> like, go find something that makes you feel good about yourself because the only way that you're going to make someone else feel good in your life is if you can first feel good about yourself. And if that's what you're doing, if you're having to go into some violent rage to get sex... That probably means that you're not treating your spouse a certain way. It probably means you're not treating yourself a certain way. It's not treating your surroundings with a certain level of respect. Like, go find a purpose. Go volunteer. Go find a job that's worthwhile to you. Go to read a damn book that you like. I don't know. But whatever you're doing, it ain't working. So go find some fucking purpose. First of all, my favorite church is the Church of Michael. Oh, God. <laughs> like, I just sat here and let you, like preach on and I loved every minute of it and you're you're exactly right like if you were at this point that you are so mentally broken down that you are going to kill someone and I promise you that if you are at this point they're at that point too sure are like you're probably yes, in immediate yes. danger of being killed yourself get out run to your friend to anyone to a shelter to a police officer to a nurse to a therapist anybody and get out I love everything you said. 
Thank you for, you're such a wonderful storyteller. Thank you for taking us on this journey from this crazy, crazy case. I hope the guys aren't cringing in pain. I know. I, Sorry for all the men out there. And for the women, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm just glad that Lorena's story had a somewhat happy ending with this. Yeah. So tell us what you think. We promise that we will not share any pictures of the appendage no, on social media. None of that. Um, we will share some pictures of Lorena and John in their relationship and then some of their court cases so that you guys can see the pics. Um, but tell us what you think about it. And then also, we've been getting ideas on what to do next. So make sure that you are sliding into our DMs and Michael's going to tell you all about how you can do it. That's right. So, um, of course, check us out on our social medias at nosybees, or you can email us as always at nosybeesforlife at gmail.com. That's N-O-S-E-Y-B-E-E-S, the number four L-I-F-E at gmail.com. We love you guys for tuning in with us. We have a great story that's on the docket for you next week, but until then, bye, bitches. You made it to the end of the podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. And I know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback, but at the end of the day, it's also important that we remember to stay kind, stay curious, but of course, stay nosy, bitches. bitches.